When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, folks. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. As always, I've got an outstanding guest for you uh, this week. Uh, Mr. David Hollenbach the Third. David, thanks for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, as have I. As have I. So, uh, you know, listeners, uh, David's been on our friend John Rennie's podcast, Deep Leadership. So, uh, I'll have a link to that in the show notes because I want you to go listen to to that discussion as well. It's a fantastic discussion. Uh, but for our purposes today, here's what I want you to know is uh, David is a veteran of the United States Navy with a master's degree in public administration from Barry University. He has uh, a major with a focus of research for his capstone was how strong positive leadership can influence the culture of a large organization. While studying at Barry University, he published The Firefighter's Creed and Women in the Fire Service, A Diverse Culture Leads to a Successful Culture which was an article highlighting the importance of gender diversity within the fire service and fire engineering magazine. He has spent years as an instructor, coach, and mentor helping others define and realize success. Although he no longer works as a servant of the community, his passion for service to others remains stronger than ever. And his latest writing is a book titled Fireproof, Your Grand Strategy for Transforming Failure into Fuel for Your Future. And I think that's going to provide us a lot of backdrop for our discussion today. But before we dive into that, I want to start you off where I start off all of my guests. When you hear the words responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Responsible leadership. Well, my my professional career 
23 years within the fire service. Um, about halfway through my career, I was promoted to lieutenant and uh, really started that journey on developing myself as a leader. And, you know, through some incredible people that I worked with, uh, close friends and mentors, um, you know, I felt as though once I sought promotion and accepted that position, I had obligated myself to ensuring the success and safety of the people that I was leading. And in order to do that, I needed to know my people, know their strengths and weaknesses, what they, you know, felt was success, how they define success, um, what they wanted from me as their leader. And, and then I had to work really, really hard at being somebody that could add value to them. And so I, I feel like being a responsible leader is understanding that uh, and working very hard at being somebody that can add value to the people that they're leading. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. And uh, yeah, I, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I like the fact that you, you circle around to adding value to those uh, that, that follow you, not just what can they do for you, but what can you do for them? And, and, and I hear a lot of that, that the, the teamwork themes right there, working together as teams, building, building one another, right? Not just you building them and, and them building you, but building each other up, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. No, I love that. So, uh, you know, and, and I have a standing, you know, thank you for your service for any veterans that come on here, but I want to kind of double down on that and say, you know, thank you for your service for, for continuing the service in, in, uh, as a fireman, um, you know, the, the, the stuff that, that y'all go through police, fire, first responders, I have an immense amount of respect uh, for, for what y'all do. So I just want to take a second there and say, not only thank you for your service in the Navy, but thank you for your service in, in, in fire response. That's just, that's just amazing. Thank you for doing that. Uh, well, thank you for, for saying that. And, and thank you for your service. Uh, yeah. You know, I, you know, I've always had a, a high regard for Marines. Uh, you know, when I, when I joined the Navy, um, I actually tried to join the Marine Corps first, but because of, uh, you know, a leg injury when I was in high school, um, I, I couldn't, they wouldn't accept me. Uh, and then when I joined the Navy, I actually had to sign a medical waiver uh, and, in doing so, that uh, allowed the Navy to uh, medically discharge me when I broke that same leg again. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I remember you sharing that that story with John, and and it was like, wow, talk about literally talk about bad breaks. I man, 
That was because yeah. it was, if I remember right, I mean, it was, it was, you weren't horsed around anything like you were, you were coming back up the steps from PT or something, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was yeah. uh winter time uh, at the great, uh, great lakes Naval training center. Uh, so pretty, pretty cold out. And uh, you know, like, I think a lot of military bases, uh, they don't invest a whole lot in hot water for the, uh, the, the trainees. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we would, uh, we would all race to the showers to get, you know, the first few seconds of hot water you could get and, and then, you know, freeze the rest of the time. But, uh, yeah, uh, I was running up the steps and somebody's knee caught my heel uh, I fell and quite a few people fell on top of me and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, just one of the, one of those things. And, it, you know, a, a lot of, I remember being pretty angry about, uh, having to leave the Navy. Uh, cause when I was discharged, I mean, I was running five miles a day. I felt like I was you know, plenty fit to continue my service. And I had intended on making a career. Uh, and you know, I was young, so I was a little bit, uh, miffed about being discharged, but, uh, that was, uh, what led me into the fire service at the age that I entered the fire service. And, uh, it was a, a great career. And, and, you know, I, I feel that we, uh, are put, in the places that we're meant to be, uh, when we're meant to be there. So, well, brother, that was part of your story that really, really stuck with me because, um, you know, different circumstances, but, but also kind of similar path. Um, mine wasn't a broken bone. I, I was in, in the late nineties and I had adverse reactions to the anthrax vaccine mm. and, uh, I, I had my career cut short very much like yours, uh, I was only three years into, um, I, I did weather. I was, uh, what they jokingly referred to as a smart Marine. Uh, so I did weather and I know a lot of, a lot of folks out there is like what smart Marine is an oxymoron if I've ever heard one. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, That's, uh, this, those are the, the ones that, that peel the paper off the crayons before they eat them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we, we're smart enough to do that. Right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was three years into a five year enlistment and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, I just start passing out. Like every time I'd start running, I'd start passing out mm. and, uh, you know, they, I say they traced it back to the anthrax vaccine. They've never officially traced it back to it, but uh, yeah, I was same boat. Like I was a lifer. I went in to be a lifer and then they got yanked away. And uh, I recently, and I'd never heard this term before until, you know, almost 25 years after leaving service recently got diagnosed with something called uh, a, a adjustment disorder with anxiety and depression, because I never made that adjustment uh, from going to having been a lifer to having it just like overnight taken away from me. I mean, I've had a successful career uh, doing, uh, you know, weather stuff outside of the military, but it, I, I kind of what you're talking about. I, I never really, I never really dealt with that. And, and, you know, I've really just kind of started dealing with that piece of it now. So I, I identify with what you're talking about there. Uh, I'm, it, it, it's, it's just a crazy thing to hear your story and some of those parallels 
and and that we're on the same path, this leadership development journey. And I think that's probably a big piece of it. We, we, we've had some of these things, we've learned these lessons and want to help other people. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's interesting that you should bring that up um, because, you know, in my career within the fire service, um, seen a lot of really horrible things and I, I didn't process those like, you know, a healthy individual would. And, and it's, you know, it's the body's response to a horrible situation. And in my case, 23 years of running emergencies, uh, seeing the worst that men can do to one another, uh, see the worst things that uh, can happen to a human body, uh, seeing just really horrible things, uh, child abuse, um, animal attacks, industrial accidents, uh, burns. I mean, you know, you name it. It's just um, uh, a lot of that stuff. Uh, well, I mean, I, I just shoved it down and, and pressed on and didn't address the uh, physical and mental and emotional impacts that those, those calls were having on me. And uh, as I developed as a leader, I, I still didn't address those things. And, you know, I would talk about self-leadership and how important it is to, to lead yourself well, but I didn't take the time to lead myself uh, in that way, you know, to, to get the assistance that I needed and that I knew I needed. Um, and, you know, after I've left the fire service and, and got the help that I needed and I'm, I'm doing great, I look back and I, you know, I know that the way that I approached things uh, was just a poor example for people that I was leading. And, and I hate the fact that uh, my example uh, most certainly impacted other firefighters in a negative way because they felt as though they needed to push on and not get the help that they needed or chose not to talk about things that were bothering them. And, and so when I, when I talk about leadership, especially with veterans and first responders, I talk about that piece a lot. You know, that responsible leadership is, I mean, you got to take really good care of yourself so that you're better able to take care of the people that you're leading and, and serve as a good example uh, for them. Uh, you know, and be, be somebody that can t take the stigma out of, you know, taking care of your mental health. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I really love that, that last piece there. Cause you know, the first chapter in your book is, is, you know, uh, but for listeners is how do you define yourself? And I, I think that is a key piece. And, and it sounds like we were both missing that is, is that mental health piece. Cause 
I remember the first time somebody at the VA mentioned that and, and, you know, they actually used the term PTSD and, and I was, I was borderline offended because I was like, you know, I, I didn't, I was a peacetime Marine. I didn't go to war. I didn't go to combat. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't have PTSD. I didn't have see any of that stuff. And then, you know, somebody actually sat down and was like, you don't have to have seen combat, but I would say, you know, like in your scenario, what you're talking about, you, you guys see, you guys see some stuff. And like you said, setting that example and, and being open to the mental health aspect and, and being open to it uh, is, is a key piece. So I'm glad that, you know, you, you, you've seen that and are, are, you know, setting that example now, even though we didn't have that in our skill set for, for those many years, making amends now. So good for you on that. Yeah. So, um, I do want to talk about that a little bit there though, because there was, uh, you know, some interesting stories again, I, I hate to keep going back to, to John's podcast, but I got so much out of it. So John will get a kick that I keep, uh, shamelessly plugging deep leadership on, on my show there. So, um, but you know, I, I, you know, mentioned the, that, that you are a third, I'm a junior, so I kind of get it. Uh, you know, but you are a, a third generation, uh, David Hollenbach, right? Or Hollenbach. I'm not, I keep wanting to say Hollenbach because I went to school with somebody who spelled their last name almost exactly like yours and they, they pronounce it back. So I apologize for that. But you are a third generation Hollenbach and, and you're pretty proud of that, aren't you? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, you know, my, my grandfather was, uh, uh, an army uh, an army soldier, uh, during world war two served in the South Pacific, uh, fighting the Japanese. Um, I actually have the, the Japanese rifle that was used to shoot him in the back. Uh, he, you know, he survived and, uh, you know, when he came back, uh, he, he had my father and, and my aunt and, uh, and then my father joined the Navy when his time came. And um, after the Navy, he went into the fire service. And and so I just, uh, you know, I, I followed in my father's footsteps and and joined the Navy and then and then went into the fire service. And uh, man, my my dad did 44 years in the fire service. I, I did 23. So <laughs> <laughs> so. It, it was in your, you know, uh, for no other way to put it, firefighting, it was in your blood, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, I remember when I was a kid uh, going to the fire station and and sliding down the pole or sitting on the fire truck or uh, going to training fires and, and watching my dad uh, do his thing. And um, it was just, you know, so cool. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is that uh, that mind for service or that duty to to serve others that was just in, instilled in me, and and then on top of that, it's just really freaking cool. You know, uh, I I would say I got a little bit of an adrenaline junkie side. Um, did some really cool stuff in the fire service and, uh, it was exciting, scary at times. Um, you know, I've, I've had my fair share of injuries 
and uh, you know the most rewarding thing though is, well on two fronts uh, serving the public and then serving the people that I led uh, seeing the people that I led succeed and promote and become incredible leaders themselves um, and then you know serving the public on their worst days um, being able to to save lives uh, you know as a team I mean I, I worked with some incredible people throughout my career and together saved a, a lot of lives and um, you know I've, I've got some really cool stories uh, with that um, you know, this uh, this one particular call, it was um, it was actually on St. Patty's Day. Uh, I was working as a battalion chief, and um, University of Central Florida uh, sits in the neighboring battalion that I worked in, and there was this one particular bar that was uh, you know notorious for generating calls. Um, it sat kind of on the border of my battalion and the neighboring battalion and that battalion chief and myself, we ended up at that bar on St. Patty's day, uh, because of, um, you know, some really, really intoxicated students. Uh, we were, we were there, uh, really managing a mass casualty incident. We had rescue trucks rotating through the parking lot where we were loading patients on and uh, transporting them to the hospital. And we were there until the bar closed and then walked the parking lot and transported a few more people. Um, and once we cleared that scene, we're heading back to our respective fire stations and, uh, Prior to me going uh, and, and managing a battalion and within operations, I was wor- I had worked as the chief of special operations, and part of my role was uh, leading our our dive team. Um, and I was an instructor, and uh, quite a few of the people that I was working with that night were instructors with me. And as we're on the road heading back to the, the, our fire stations, a call goes out for, you know, this is about three o'clock in the morning. A car uh, was witnessed driving into a retention pond. And, uh, you know, immediately we all responded. I mean, there was just a massive amount of resources converged on this retention pond. And myself and I want to say three other instructors were on that scene. And um, we, we removed a young man from the car. When we pulled him out of the water, he was gray. He was lifeless. He was not breathing. He had no pulses. And we worked him. Uh, CPR. Uh, you know, he intubated him, gave him uh, 
drugs to restart his heart, transport him to the hospital, and ultimately he survived. And uh, I had the opportunity to go to his wedding last year. Um, His family made sure that they stayed in touch with all of us. Um, as his recovery progressed through the years, he, uh, he's just this incredible young man, um, that they didn't believe he was ever gonna regain consciousness. And then when he did regain consciousness, they were like, okay, well, you know, he'll never walk or talk. And then he started walking and now uh, you know, he's not the same person that he was before he uh, had that accident, but, um, you know, that family got to keep their son and his girlfriend stayed by his side and ultimately they got married. And um, it's just this incredible uh, event. And it's just one of a lot of different uh, calls that I've been on. and But one of the only instances where I've actually been able to stay in touch with that person and their family and, and then to be invited to, to the wedding was really, really cool as well. Um, the, the father being an air force veteran, uh, he made it a point to have challenge coins made up for everyone that was on that scene that uh, contributed to his son's survival. And they came to the fire station when, when Sean, that's the young man's name. When Sean got out of the hospital, uh, they came to the fire station. We were able to bring all of the units that were on scene that night to my, uh, my battalion station, the battalion headquarters. And, um, Sean, he couldn't speak at that time. And I don't know that he really had any recollection of, uh, the events that brought him there. Um, and probably didn't have a full understanding of what was going on, but his dad would hand him a challenge coin and then he would shake one of our hands and give us a hug. And man, I tell you what, (laughs) there wasn't a dry eye in that station. Um, A lot of quivering lips, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But uh, that is, I believe, the result of, you know, some really high speed training dedication from a lot of incredible leaders um and and the the reward i mean is just being able to to come through and do your job uh, to the best of your ability and and make that safe yeah that is that is an outstanding story i mean i, I with a great ending and and how lucky for that young man that, that somebody saw that and, and was able to, to mark that. Cause uh, you know, I'm, I'm always in awe, you know, where I live here, just outside of Indianapolis, they're, they're uh, in constant building mode. And I, I think most people vastly underestimate how deep 
those retention ponds are. And if somebody hadn't have seen that young man go off the road, I mean, we hear about it all the time. These cars get found in retention ponds have been there for, you know, sometimes decades. And so, yeah, it's just such, such a fortunate, an unfortunate incident, but such a fortunate turn of events that somebody's seen them. You all were in the area, able to respond quickly, had the expertise available, had the skill set to do what you did, had the equipment training and, and, and the wherewithal to, to provide the assistance that, that he needed when he needed it and, and have that outcome. That is just, uh, that's just an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. And, uh, one more thing though, cause I, I don't want people to misunderstand. Um, he wasn't intoxicated himself though. It was right. St. Patty's day. He, he had been working that night and was on his way home from work. Um, he was actually a student at UCF and, uh, was working at night and, uh, you know, he was out late, uh, tired. He fell asleep at the wheel as he was entering his neighborhood. And, uh, he would have had to have gone around this roundabout to turn towards his parents' house where he lived. Um, but he fell asleep before that and hit the roundabout and launched, mm. uh, in the air, uh, and crashed into the retention pond. And it was a couple that were walking their dog at three in the morning. And I mean, just, you know, I, I don't know if that was like a normal time for them to walk their dog, but <laughs> they happened to be there and witnessed it and called 911 immediately. Um, Sounds like St. Patty was looking out for him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, I tell you what, on that note there, uh, that, that's a, that's a good spot. Let's go ahead and take a, our uh, commercial break here, pay some bills. And then uh, let's come back on the other side and, and let's chat a little bit about fireproof. How does that sound? Yes, sir. Sounds good. All right. We'll be back on the other side uh, and in just a few seconds here. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, listeners, welcome back to the conversation with David Hollenbach III. We're going to talk here a little bit now about Fireproof, your grand strategy for transforming failure into fuel for your future. Um, We kind of referenced it a little bit here in the first segment, uh, but it's such an interesting title. Uh, Your grand strategy for transforming failure into fuel for your future. Kind of curious, why did you focus on transforming failure into your fuel for your future? Well, that uh, comes from a really dark period in my life. Uh, The end of 2019, um, there was a a series of calls. Uh, You know, I hadn't processed 
quite a bit of trauma already and then had three pretty horrific calls uh, that, you know, I was, I was hiding from the emotional impact that, uh, that had upon me. I, I, you know, I was suffering uh, pretty bad. I was struggling with PTSD, uh, not uh, getting the help that I needed. Um, and I was burying myself in work, uh, sometimes working 48 hours straight. Um, you know, we, we had a 24 uh, hour shift and then we'd have 48 hours off. And I was uh, signing up for overtime every shift. So uh, a lot of times I would work straight through 48 hours, take a 24 hour break. Uh, and uh, that 24 hours I would spend a lot of times just uh, drinking. Um, mm. And I, you know, I was just uh, trying not to feel uh, the, the feelings that I was having and, um, you know, chasing that dopamine hit, uh, adrenaline, anything to feel something better than what I was feeling, uh, when, when I sat there with my feelings. Um, so, uh, I, I can tell you that I was making some pretty poor decisions in my personal life and ultimately it, it led to my termination from the department I worked for. Um, and that was, uh, horrible. Um, I, I felt like I had been betrayed that I had lost my identity. I'd lost my purpose. Um, I'd lost the respect of my, my peers and my friends and family. I mean, it was all, like I catastrophized everything uh, mm. after the, you know, my termination. And, um, and I went to a really dark place and had made a decision to end, end it. Um, I had, uh, well, I, I'll just tell you the, the quick story, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I had made that uh, decision one night after pretty much drinking all day, uh, closed a bar and um, got behind the wheel of my truck. I, I had made the decision to end things while I was sitting at the bar. And when I left, um, I, I knew the wall that I was going to crash my truck into. Mm. Um, I knew that if I glanced off of it. Um, there was a tree right next to it that would, uh, finish me off. So as, uh, as I took aim at the wall, you know, I, I rolled all my windows down or, you know, not rolled, but electric windows, they, they were lowered and right. I, uh, I unbuckled my seatbelt, uh, put the accelerator to the floor and, um, took my hands off the steering wheel and, uh, and I, I looked up to, to ask for forgiveness. And that's when I saw a picture that I have on my visor, uh, to this day, uh, of me holding my daughter on the day she was born. Mm. And as soon as I, I saw that picture, 
I, I slammed on my brakes and, and everything went black. And, um, I have no recollection of how I got home, um, how I got into bed, but I woke up the next morning in my bed, uh, terrified, ashamed, um, you know, just felt broken. Uh, I, I was ashamed that I almost did that to my daughter. Um, and terrified. I, I mean, I was really scared that I had come that close cause that's not anything that I would uh, want to do. And, right. uh, it, it just showed me, you know, how far, how deep into that pit I was and I, I needed help to get out. And so, um, I, I sought help, uh, and, and slowly came back, but I had made a commitment that day that I would do whatever it took to, to be somebody that my daughter could be proud of. And I mean, that I could be proud of being, and, and I knew it was going to take a lot of work because, you know, I had, I had fallen pretty far. Uh, so I, um, I, I was, doing a lot of reading, uh, you know, reading a lot of, uh, philosophy and, um, you know, a lot of leadership books as well. And one of, one of the things that I kept on finding in my readings was, you know, talk about strategy. And I had found this book, uh, that, Basically, it was all about the grand strategy program that was developed at Yale. And I, I just, you know, it blew my mind. Um, like the, the stuff that they were studying were books um, like On War by Clausewitz, uh, mm-hmm. the, the History of the Peloponnesian War, um, you know, The Art of War by Sun Tzu, uh, the, the Prince by Machiavelli. And these were all books that I knew were required reading at the military academies. Uh, and I had read most of them uh, already. And, um, and so I just I thought this program was something that I really wanted to uh, look into and study. And, and it's called the Grand Strategy Program. Um, and, and I, it's meant for future world leaders or leaders of large organizations that shape the events of our country. Um, and it's like big picture ideas, but using the past to help guide our decisions. Um, and when we're faced with issues, uh, looking at similar things, using critical thinking to um, weigh our options and adjust our actions accordingly. And I just felt like, man, I could do this with my life. And I just started putting together little bits and pieces of things that I could do for myself. And it, it, uh, it was life-changing one. Um, and, and two, I knew that it could be valuable for others. 
and, and so I had already been writing a leadership book, but it took on this whole other meaning, purpose, tone. Uh, it was no longer just a, a leadership book for people in the fire service. It was now uh, a book about leading yourself well, um, discovering who you are, discovering your purpose in life, and understanding that as we move through life, we're going to make some poor decisions and we're going to find ourselves, uh, you know, feeling like we could have done better, maybe even doing a lot of negative self-talk. Uh, and, and I found that it's incredibly important to give ourselves some grace when we do make mistakes. Um, and I, I think that's a huge part of, you know, excellent leadership is being able to understand where the people are at in their lives, the ones that you're leading. Um, and if that's how you lead others effectively, we've got to do that for ourselves as well. You know, beating ourselves up for mistakes, you know, making decisions that uh, in the moment of making those decisions, you know, we weren't thinking about the repercussions or that we were, you know, trying to, to destroy our lives. You know, I mean, it was, uh, we make mistakes and, and it's not the end when you do, uh, unless you, unless you make that decision, you know, it's up to us. But every time we make a mistake, every time we fall on our face, it's an opportunity to get back up better than we were before. And to be able to use that experience to add value to somebody else and, and maybe not to uh, lead them away from making the same mistake, but being there when they do make that mistake to give them a hand up and dust them off and encourage them to keep pushing forward because it's not the end and they are better than they were before. And, and sometimes that's all it takes is a hand up to get somebody back on, on track. And, and, and so that's really where the book came from, where the name comes from. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, as well, you should be. I mean, it, it is a great book and it's a great story. And I, and I love it because as you were telling that, I, it reminds me of, of uh, two two key leaders in, in, in my life. One direct influence, one indirect influence. Uh, my, my senior drill instructor in boot camp, Sergeant Buck, uh, he, he always would tell us the only bad mistake is one you make twice. <laughs> and uh, that, that was how we put it. It was the only bad mistake is one you make twice. Uh, but then that last piece there reminds me of uh, uh, General Stanley McChrystal um, in his TED Talk. He said what uh, I think was one of the most brilliant lines of leadership I think I've ever heard anybody say. And it was kind of a throwaway, throwaway line with the rest of the talk. He says, he said, a leader can let you fail without being a failure. 
And I thought that is brilliant right there. That is, that is perfectly said. A leader can let you fail without being a failure. And, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about there is like, yeah, you, people fail. People should fail. People should fail. You know, the, the famous, um, I think it was, uh, Steve Jobs was challenging people to fail 10 times a day. Now I think that maybe is taking it to an extreme, but, <laughs> you need to fail to experience, you know, growth and, and how not to do things and, and be okay with it, but learn and don't make the same mistake again and, and have, be able to teach the next person how to cope with it. So I love what you're saying there. And I love the book and I love the way the book's laid out. What, what I love about it is how you pose these things as questions because they're, they're, they are, they're going to mean different things to everybody and everybody's going to answer those questions for themselves. And, you know, for the listeners, I really want you to go check out the book. Uh, and again, it is Fireproof, Your Grand Strategy for Transforming Failure into Fuel for Your Future. Uh, and it's got 10 chapters and each chapter uh, essentially nine of the 10 chapters starts out with a question and these are very insightful questions. How do you define yourself? Uh, where are you going? What do you stand for? Why are you doing this? What is in your way? What do you need? Where do you begin? What's your timeline? What's your daily routine? And then chapter 10 is dedicated to when everything falls apart. Um, and, and I like the fact that you make that as kind of a matter of fact statement, because I think that's the one thing not everybody is prepared for in their lives is when everything falls apart, because it's going to happen. Very few people get the luxury of living their life, all puppy dogs, rainbows, and all that good stuff. Like you're going to hit something. There's going to come a point, no matter how privileged you are in your life, things are going to fall apart. You're going to get sick. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get injured. The stock market's going to crash. Your yacht's going to spring a leak. Whatever it is, something's going to happen and everything's going to fall apart. How are you going to be able to respond? And I think your book, your guidance, your story gives us a good uh, good blueprint on how to, to really build up some resilience and, and fa not failure-proof, but failure... Um, uh, I don't know what the right word is. I'm looking here right now, but failure resilience yourself. There we go. I'll use that uh, when, when it happens. So I, I like what you've done here with the book and I really want people to go buy a copy and read it. And as you mentioned your podcast earlier from embers to excellence, go listen to that. We'll get a link to that in there as well. Cause uh, I want people to go listen to that. So I love what you're doing. I really do. I appreciate you doing what you're doing and thank you for sharing your message with folks. And I really appreciate you uh, having me on. And I, you know, for those that are listening, not sure if you want to buy the book, if you go to my website, there's a couple of downloads. Uh, you know, you can download the workbook that is, is meant to accompany the book. Um, but you can download it for free if you want to. Uh, and it does have those exercises in it. Um, I would encourage you to get the book if you're going to get the, the workbook. Uh, but there's also a template to, you know, lay out your own grand strategy and, and, uh, 
it has instructions to you know guide you through that. Uh, but again, all, all that's meant to accompany the book. Um, and you know, you can contact me through my website. You can uh, follow me on social media. All the links are on my website, and that's HollenbachLeadership.com. Um, you know, one thing that I I wanted to leave the listeners with. Uh, it's a it's a talk that I do, and and I'll give you the the highlights real quick because it, it's uh, really a component of a much larger talk, but it, it's a these three items that I like to share with people that you know when. It's part of a lecture that I did as, uh, you know, a segment in the leadership program that I developed. And, you know, when leading in high stress environments, uh, when all hell is raining down upon you, being able to maintain your composure and keep your amygdala from hijacking your brain and, and going into fight, flight or freeze or, you know, getting tunnel vision. Um, but so these, these three tools that I've taught many firefighters and even law enforcement officers, um, it's, uh, taking a tactical pause, box breathing and a can report. Now, tactical pause is simply, uh, you know, when, when you start to feel that sense of overwhelm when all hell is breaking loose, when things aren't going right, um, you know, maybe, maybe you're in the fire service or in law enforcement, or maybe you're the leader of a large organization and you're facing, you know, payroll issues or supply chain issues. You know, it can be very overwhelming. Now, tactical pause is simply taking a step back, um, removing yourself from what you've hyper-focused on just, you know, a couple steps back, physical steps back and, and then box breathing, taking some deep breaths and box breathing is breathing in deeply for four seconds, count of four, holding it for a count of four, exhaling for a count of four and holding it for a count of four and repeating that three more times. And it takes roughly a minute to do, uh, but it allows your prefrontal cortex to re-engage. It oxygenates your body and your brain and gives you just that little break uh, to where you can allow more information in uh, you're opening your field of vision um, instead of being hyper-focused on one detail that may not be important anymore. Uh, you can start taking in more relevant information, see the big picture, and, and then you conduct a, a CAN report. And when in the context of fire, the fire service, you know, I'd, I would ask, you know, if it's a large incident where I was the incident commander and I, I've directed crews to just say it's a, a large structure fine. I've uh, directed crews to go interior with hose lines uh, to, to extinguish the fire. Now I'm not on the inside, so I can't see. 
I can see what's going on on the outside. I could see, you know, change in smoke conditions or see that the, the fire is moving to different parts of the building. Um, now, what I would ask for to bring my awareness up to speed, to bring my situational awareness uh, into the present moment, I would ask the interior officer to give me a CAN report. And CAN, C-A-N, it's an acronym for Conditions, Actions, Needs. So he would report back to me what his current conditions were, what actions were underway, and what additional resources he needed to uh, bring that uh, mission to a close. Um, And so as an incident commander, I would do the same thing for myself, what the current conditions were, you know, from, from my perspective, what actions were underway. You know, I would give directions to multiple crews. They would all be operating in different parts of the building on the exterior, on the interior, uh, doing different functions. And I would, you know, go through that checklist, you know, what are all the actions that are underway? And then what additional resources do I require to, to make things easier, to give some relief to the crews that are operating right then? Um, and, and so we can do that in our, our own situations in our personal lives and our professional lives. It, it doesn't, uh, you're not limited by your occupation or the situation it's, it's just a simple exercise. When things get overwhelming, you can bring yourself back to center and, and take control of that situation, um, you know, to the best of your ability, you know, uh, sometimes, uh, having the awareness, uh, that we are not in control is, uh, is important information in and of itself. So, uh, thank you for allowing me to share that. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And thank you for that. Yeah. You, you, uh, you definitely done your homework. You, you, uh, you, you gave us a closing comment, shared your, uh, uh, shared your link there. We'll make sure that gets in the show notes. Uh, and you, you've been a fantastic guest. And all I'm going to, uh, say here is, is, uh, you know, with those resources, yes, audience go get those free resources, but you know, don't sit on a fence, go get a copy of the book. Uh, it's a great book. Um, and you'll put it to use, but that, that, that last bit of wisdom there. Uh, I, I love that as, as a, a kind of a closing share. So thank you for that. And just thank you for the great discussion we've had here so far. Like it's, it's been a lot. Thank you for opening it up, being vulnerable, sharing your, your stories that you've shared. They've, they've been some, some great insightful stories into who you are and why you are as passionate about what you do as you are. And uh, David, I just want to say thank you very much for being with us, spending the time with me and my listeners and being a fantastic guest on this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been great. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. 
Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that my name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown! On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid.